Before we start today's show, I want to invite you to join my community of SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are sharing tips, tricks, strategies, and tactics for creating successful cold outreach campaigns. It's a free group on Facebook called Cold Outreach Mastery, and you can get there by heading over to morgandwilliams.com slash community. And if Facebook isn't your thing, but you still want valuable cold outreach advice, head on over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and put in your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now, let's start today's show. Welcome to the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. This is the place where you'll find real conversations with real sales leaders about how you can leverage sales technology to get ahead of the pack. Improve your sales numbers by taking advantage of emerging technology before your competitors get there first. They'll share everything from the trends they're seeing in the marketplace to actionable strategies that you can use to make more sales today. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen. On. Here's your host, Morgan Williams. Welcome to the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. I am your host, Morgan Williams, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Jack Marr. Jack is the author of Standing on Shoulders, a leader's guide to digital transformation. In this leader's guide to digital transformation, you'll get practical, actionable information on building an employee and customer-obsessed culture that drives speed and efficiency while leveraging technology to sell better products and services. Jack, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you, Morgan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Can you uh, walk us through you know, your background and how it's led to what you are doing now in the uh, book? Right. Absolutely. And it, and it brings us right to this point in time. As a matter of fact, when I first got out of the Army, I was a, a salesman. I didn't really know what to do with myself. And I found sales to be you know, a natural fit. And there happened to be a company right down the road from me that was looking for salesmen, so it kind of worked out. I spent about a dozen years selling uh, business to business for companies like GE and, and Borg Warner, uh, Kawasaki, uh, ICI, et cetera, and spent a lot of time working through different territories, different product lines and customers, and then moved into the IT world. Uh, our organization recognized that we needed to get more of a customer focus in our organization. so. I was sort of a closet geek, a developer, uh, an unrepentant hacker. So they put me into IT and been in IT now for about 20 years. And it's time for me to bring that part back to the business. And you know, where do I feel most at home? It's in the uh, sales and, and marketing arena. So I'm really happy to be back at both as a practitioner, but also in a position to help other sales folks to leverage technology to improve their quality of life to improve their productivity and ideally to make them more money because they're being more successful uh, in in tra transitioning business from market to sales. Absolutely. And I'm curious, um, you know, selling to big companies like GE and Kawasaki, what were some interesting things that you learned from working with companies at that size and, and you know, what it takes to sell into uh, accounts like that? It really turns out to be the same kind of thing, whether it's a, you know, $20,000 a year account or a $20 million a year account. It really works when you have the right mix of value. When you go into calling that organization, you know, you're bringing something with you, whether, you know, it's on a phone call to someone in purchasing 
or it's to the folks that specify or approve the products and services that you represent, you are there to help them see why what you have is the highest value. And what you bring to the table is a big part of that. In fact, it's more important typically than even the product uh, because the relationship um, is what folks ultimately come down to is we become more and more automated and less face-to-face -face in our work. When we do have these value relationships, that solidifies, you know, it won't really get you the business if it wasn't yours to be had, but it gives you the opportunity to have the discussion, have the look, and that happens because you've developed those relationships. And, you know, it can be more complex in larger organizations with, you know, approved vendors and, and that sort of thing. But again, that's where technology comes into play. You can do that homework well ahead of time as you're conducting the, the marketing cycles to build the demand before you need the sales cycles that satisfy uh, that demand. You have the opportunity to do more research about your uh, prospects and customers than we've ever been able to in the past and mm -hmm. be able to walk in the door physically or metaphorically uh, better prepared uh, with how you're going to solve a problem for that customer, how you're going to improve a situation for that client, you know, what it is that they need you for and your product and service is part of it, but the most important part is you and being the best you means using technology today. Nice. I love it. Also curious about, you know, your developer background and um, how do you think that helped you or when did you see that the skills you, you learned in that arena kind of pop up when you transitioned over into IT sales <laughs> and kind of how did that work? Right. So it really went hand in glove for a little while. As a salesman, um, I had begun to see the need to provide the kind of service that other folks in our industry couldn't. And I found that my geek closet tools uh, suited me really well. I began to use Visual Basic to create applications that would help engineers understand why my materials would be better for their application than mm. the competitors' materials. And I then began to do sort of, in retrospect, pretty crude animations, but I created presentations using Visual Basic, and that really is what got me back to corporate as a product manager. And then in that role, you know, seeing the need for business or information at an industrial level, and moving into IT, it gave me even more and better tools to be able to bring back to the sales and marketing organization. And as a developer, it was a, a neat opportunity because I knew intimately what every part of our uh, sales and marketing process needed and was able to crank that out, um, you know, relatively quick period of time because we didn't have to go through so many layers of requirements and testing and you know, evaluation and, and vendors and, and all that kind of stuff. We just cranked it out. We built it and then we just kept improving it as we went. So, you know, I see the same thing happening, you know, now uh, as I see the transition of our world in the post Google, post Amazon, where, you know, uh, our customers are all around us and we have the ability and opportunity. And, and many of us are exercising social media, for example, as a way of, you know, getting in front of new prospects and customers and to begin to develop relationships. 
LinkedIn is maybe the best thing that's ever happened to business, in my opinion, because of the ability to bring folks together in the marketplace and to bring, you know, through content marketing, a real opportunity to develop a meaningful relationship with folks based on, again, value. And a lot of it is the value that you bring. So bringing those tools together, um, there's a one-man shop that I know of. Uh, I recently did a quick video on this uh, lady who is actually a, an immigrant from Russia and got here speaking no English when you know, the, they were booted out of the Soviet Union. And she now makes hats. She's a nurse during the day and at night she makes scrub caps and chemo caps oh, and she sells them on Etsy and she markets through Instagram and Facebook and she sold over 10,000 hats in the wow. past four years. I mean, she's just really crushing it in the marketplace um, because she was willing to invest herself and her time and create those relationships with customers. And that's the same opportunity that we have and LinkedIn helps us to make sure that we're you know, trying to address the message to the right folks. It gives us the ability to not waste time nor engender the kind of stuff we get when we see spam. We don't want to spam anybody. We don't want to get spam. So using these tools to really target your market and then deliver value, that's a really strong message in any age. That's how sales and marketing works best. Absolutely. And I, I like what you said in the beginning about how you, you know, used your skills to gain a competitive advantage, that developer background to build the value-based information and visual basic to show to your prospects. I feel like everyone I talk to who has a story, whether in sales or marketing of how they succeeded, it always comes back to some form of skill or ability or competitive advantage they use to, you know, deliver value and really differentiate themselves from, you know, the competition. And you touched on uh, my next question about kind of what trends are you seeing in marketing and sales technology? And you already mentioned a few, and I'd like to know how can B2B salespeople use tools that are available now to deliver value to the prospects that are in their marketplace and, and what sorts of things should at a high level people be, um, how should people be using these tools? Sure. And there's, you know, I mentioned a few, they're kind of on the, the front edge, if you will, that's around where, awareness, you know, getting eyeballs on your product, being making the market aware of what you have, informing about the opportunities and advantages that you have. There's also a lot of tools on the back end as well. So you know, a lot of times as we are going through our day, we find that we end up working on things that are important, but not necessarily urgent. And so automating a lot of those is one way that folks are uh, being able to get more done. So, for example, if you have to collect data from uh, multiple applications and then, you know, do some sort of analysis or, or process it in any way. There's a thing called RPA um, uh, that's the automation of tasks. And whether it's bringing multiple spreadsheets together or bringing data from the web and from spreadsheets together and processing that, the kind of thing that you could do in 10 or 15 minutes, you know, it can crank out. It takes 10 or 15 minutes to teach it, and then it just does it from then on whenever you, you set it off. Um, I worked with a group of folks that were doing data analytics, and in using this approach, 
they took what was taking them uh, 12 to 20 hours per week, depending on whether it was a high or low week, um, to less than two hours a month because they automated these processes, which then enabled them to focus on more important things. So as a salesman, you know, you're, you, for example, you know, you'll probably want to validate the sales and orders and keep tabs on, on what's going on. You know, are the deliveries happening as scheduled? What's happening with your days of sales outstanding? Or, you know, are you making sure that you're ringing the, the till at the same time as, you know, pushing it out the door? So if you can automate those things and take care of that, at least the bulk of the work, you can then focus on you know, your strategic account planning. You can be much more focused on market trends and ensuring that you see where the market's going and how that's going to impact um, your customers and clients and how you'll want to adjust either your market strategy or your product offering um, to account for those changes. Because after all, we want to be in control of that. The, the person who gets to market first, the people who define the, the leading edge get to define what the opening market price will be. They get to get the, the higher uh, premium value at the beginning before competition comes in with the Me Too. So tons and tons of advantages of getting to market first. And when we leverage these tools together and accelerate our ability to respond to the market, it's one thing to catch that information, but to process it all the way through and get your organization to respond so that you're not just standing there where the puck's going to be. You've got the whole team lined up and, and ready to go. Um, you're going to be first in the market and everybody will be chasing you. Got it. And I want to talk about this next piece or kind of, I'd like to go deeper into what you just mentioned into two different pieces here. I'd like to talk about the, from the perspective of the salesperson, you know, the individual who's, who's got the boots on the ground, actually doing the work. Carrying the bag, right? Absolutely. And then from a sales management perspective, because you did mention, you know, not just changing how you're doing your job, but changing the organization. So from a salesperson's perspective, you know, the biggest thing that, you know, I hear is, you know, where do you start? Because you mentioned using backend automation, right? Uh, or just automation in general to free up the lower value work, the stuff that can be you know, completed by a computer so that you can work on high level strategic tasks to kind of move the needle. Where, right. does, where does an individual start? What sorts of tasks they're looking at? What's a good framework for approaching that? Well, a lot of it's going to start with, you know, where you are sort of in your ecosystem, you know, what kind of uh, environment are you operating within? Is it a, you know, a high tech environment? So if it's a, you know, information technology consulting firm, we're going to have all kinds of tools and toys to play with. But, you know, as a, a basic manufacturing uh, organization, it, it could be pretty bare bones in terms of the technology. So there's, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Now, the good news is, is that a lot of these tools are the same regardless of where you go. So, you know, for example, in moving to a contemporary technology footprint in IT, you know, everybody today that's using contemporary technology is going to use a source code tool like GitHub or GitLab and you know, be able to exercise continuous integration of that code. And that's what builds up the DevOps pipeline, which significantly accelerates and improves the delivery of technology solutions. That's the fundamental difference between a Google, a Amazon, Etsy, Pinterest, Netflix, Spotify, 
all use that kind of approach as opposed to the mainframes and COBOL that uh, banks and insurance companies use. So you've got to have the ability to be nimble with your technology. And we're, companies are doing that left, right, and center. You know, everybody's having cloud parties. We're creating apps and moving to the web, and, and the current technology stack is predominantly based on microservices and, and APIs. And, you know, and that's going to continue to help us to accelerate this delivery. Where we really need to get back in, though, is, is feeding that machine. Once we get that up and running, you know, we also need to make sure that there's enough information feeding that machine to be continuing to operate, you know, in a place where your technology becomes part of your competitive advantage. So as sales and marketing folks, we need to be out doing some basic farming first, making sure, you know, and, and it depends on, on where you're going. Are you servicing, you know, a large existing customer base with uh, ongoing sales? Or are you constantly out looking for new prospects? Or, you know, as a sales manager, I would hope you're doing, you know, some of both, but more of the new prospects. So using the tools on the internet, like LinkedIn, to, you know, find and begin to build those relationships, understand what the pain points are and, you know, what your opportunities could be to, you know, get into a, a market because you're bringing better value and leverage that and then use the rest of the tools. So whether you're a Google Docs, you know, kind of a place, you've got Office 365 and SharePoint, one of the main things that we need to do is get that information that we see dealing with the customers and end users and clients every day to get what we see and hear and feel, you know, back into the hands of the product owners and the product managers and the, you know, the senior leaders so that they can appropriately create the resource necessary to support that and drive those kind of changes through the organization so that, you know, you're not trying to both push and pull at the same time, get them involved. And when we talked about the getting your organization to be employee and customer obsessed, you know, the real key to making that happen is, and Sir Richard Branson talks about it a lot, is he is all about his employees. You know, you ask him who's the most important. It's not the customer, it's the employees. And, you know, when you get people to rally around your mission and you treat them like they were family, well, it becomes a whole different program than just, you know, working for the man. And that's what digital transformation really becomes about is taking a, a, a step back and taking a look at who we are and why we exist. What is the value that we bring? If we weren't here, what would happen? And then begin from there of aligning our resources to our mission. And the more we do that, the more efficient we become at creating and delivering that value. That is our reason for existing and why we have the place we are in the marketplace. And when we tie these things together, it's like, you know, doing the other things that you need to do. If you, if you lose weight because you got sick, but you didn't change your eating habits or your exercise, you're going to get your weight right back. But this is like changing up what's in your refrigerator, getting rid of the kegerator, you know, not having the pizza guy on speed dial and exercising and riding your bike, you know, that weight's going to stay off. And we want to make these changes in our culture in the way we operate our businesses. And, you know, the best thing is, is that nobody will benefit any more from this than the customer and the sales folks. So, you know, it, it becomes this virtuous cycle when we let, take a look at what digital transformation is really all about and the tools that it brings. Absolutely. I want to spend some time talking about your book, 
Standing on Shoulders, a leader's guide to digital transformation. And I know you've you've um, definitely touched on um, some points from the book, but what prompted you to write this book? Who is it for? And you know what is it? What does it help them do? Right. So my co-author and I were responsible for the past five years to develop the processes for Fortune 100 company that was very stuck in early 2000s technology, particularly from an IT tooling and process perspective. And so as we went through and the smart folks, we were the folks that, you know, got to talk to everybody and collected all the information and took the perspective. So he and I ended up with this amazing opportunity to, to do this research and then to implement you know, what we learned from the people who were the best at these new thoughts, ideas, and practices, whether it was within our company or uh, outside of our company, because our company was very good about sharing and, you know, being collaborative with other organizations. And we put this whole process together and we stood back and we said, you know, this is the first time we've ever seen this end-to-end picture And as we talked to senior leaders within the organization, we saw the same kinds of of frustration. We heard the same kinds of things. And it was essentially, you know, every one of these folks had 29 different business units and each one operated as a different business. And each one of the senior leaders, the CIO or, you know, whoever else would say, you know, we're just really tired of the, the, there's always another chunk of money. There's another resource investment we have to make. You know, you guys came to us and, implemented uh, automated testing, said we were going to be able to lay off testers. Well, that hasn't worked out. We've done agile transformations. We've implemented lean, and we spent way more on the implementation than we ever got out of it. So at what point do we begin to see the return on investment? And so that's when we took some time and we sat down and we said, you know, the problem here is not the technology. The problem here is not that workers are unwilling to work in new and better and more efficient ways. In fact, we found that they want to do that. The problem was senior leaders and middle management. And so the main thing that senior leaders needed was this understanding of what is it that we're going to do, but but more importantly, why are we going to do this and, and how is that actually going to work? And so connecting those dots, they were then able to say, oh, I get it now. Those aren't, you know, throwaway investments that we've made. We may not have understood completely why we needed them in the long run when we put them in, but now that we have them, we understand why automated testing is so important to our success. And so we also help the folks that want to be leaders in their organization to understand as we go through and we go through the transformation process to be able to see the vision of understanding why we're going to do this thing and, you know, how we can make it better uh, because there's nothing prescriptive in this. This is an entire process that's based on you and your organization. Um, We talk about, for example, your golden circle, and that's the part of saying, what is it about us that's unique and special and why we exist? And then build everything from there so that we have all of our organizational uh, resources aligned with our value proposition and our mission uh, and how we deliver it. And then by focusing on people and empowering them to do their best work and by focusing on them and letting them know that, hey, you know, as we go, we're going to have to change a lot of things and we want you to be a part of us. We want you to continue to be a part of us. But what you're doing today 
may not be what we need you to do tomorrow. And so that can be very difficult for folks. And if we don't have a culture that says, hey, we value you, you know, you're part of us. What you have done for us has been important. More importantly, the experience that you have, the knowledge and the understanding that you have, we need that. And we may need to employ that in new ways. And if you've built this focus on employee, then they get it. And people are very willing to, you know, come along this journey uh, because they begin to see that it's beneficial to themselves. It's beneficial to the organization. It's beneficial to the customer. It really becomes a win-win. So what does the before and after look like for a company who's going through this transformation? Um, yeah, kind of depends on what your starting point is, right? So if you're in an organization that is you know, relatively small and you operate in a team mode, then it may just be thinking about your work a little bit differently. And depending on the tools you're using, maybe modernizing your tools. I mean, one of the things that we have to realize is that no matter what business you're in, there is an electronic component to this today. We are expect to be able to get the same kind of information and service and, and self-service capabilities that we get on Amazon in our business relationships as well. So we need to make sure that we're you know, delivering on those kinds of capabilities, and we can only do that when we're using contemporary tools. That is going to set up some change in some folks. You know, if we're uh, maybe a mid-sized organization and we see oceans of cubes, then we're not having the kind of collaborative and team approach that's really going to be necessary to be creative and be a responsive organization going forward. So. In some cases, we see some very dramatic and possibly even traumatic changes in organization. There was a bank, uh, ING, that literally uh, had every person in the organization apply for a new job within the same company because the structure was not going to be at all what it had been before. Very, very painful and scary for folks. But in the long run, it was a tremendous metamorphosis for them. And they went from being in, in very serious trouble uh, to being uh, you know, very stable and successful in their markets. So if, the further we are away from the ideals, you know, in the book, we talk a lot about culture and how we can set that up, how we can use the tools, how we can you know, help people see the value, what's in it for them and help them answer that question for themselves, because anytime we ask people to change what they're doing or even the tools they use, the first question that comes into their heads, whether it's subconscious or right up front, is what's in it for me? And helping them see that from their perspective means you have to know what their perspective is. And as soon as you begin to address things from their perspective and they see that it's true, we've again had the opportunity to create a relationship there that says, hey, you know, this person, this organization cares about me and I'm on board with this. And as I see it, I'm pretty excited about some of these uh, changes. And we've seen that routinely that it's never been at the uh, individual or, you know, at the team level that we've had problems. Our watch list for implementations tends to be more on, on middle management. Mm, interesting. I know we're pushing up against the clock here, but is there anything else in the book that you think people should know or understand or stand to gain that you haven't mentioned there, so far? There's a lot in the book. So most of it is, again, looking at this from a senior leadership, then the application of these concepts, you know, at the leadership level. But there's also a couple of things in here that are extremely useful for folks. 
One is uh, there is a, an entire section in the appendix on how to do value stream mapping. It's not a tutorial. It's more of a step-by-step -step so leaders can understand it. But getting um, that concept and applying it to what you do of, uh, from your customer's perspective, you know, where do you create and deliver value? That's what a value stream map does. So that would be an extremely useful uh, place to start with of saying, you know, where are we experiencing challenges in this flow of information and delivery and, and creation of value? And then the other part is a way of doing some creative thinking. There's a, a chapter, uh, and I have a website that supports it. It's actually an appendix, and the website is focusedimprovement.us. And it's a four-step, very lightweight innovation process built on the uh, Stanford innovation model. That's really uh, very flexible. I used it as a product manager. Um, my teams also used it in their retrospective. And so there's two very specific tool sets that your folks uh, that are going to be very interested in helping identify where they should focus their time. And then when they find that place, what are they going to do to creatively address and create that competitive advantage? Awesome. Well, Jack, it's been so great speaking with you and learning more about your book and, and your experience in sales and development. How can people get in touch with you if they're interested in working with you, have questions about your book? What's the best way to get a hold of you? best way to get a hold of me is on LinkedIn. We can actually begin creating value right away. Um, I'm Jack Marr PMP on LinkedIn. The, an even easier way might be to come through the book's uh, website. We are at HTTPS standingonshoulders.us. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thanks again so much, Jack, for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. If you love what you heard, be sure to head back to morgandwilliams.com and go over to the podcast page for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on the next value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and make sure to take action.